Well, good morning. You know, happy Sunday to you. Boy, it's a great day. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Just to be with each other and to come to worship the Lord. What a wonderful day uh, day this is. And today we have something very, very special. It's always special whenever we see people who stand up for the Lord and they identify themselves with who Jesus Christ really is and what he's done in his life. And so just in a few minutes, we're going to uh, see a couple of people baptized and what a wonderful thrill and blessing that is. Uh, and uh, right after that, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the upcoming mission trips and opportunities that, uh, that you will have. We especially want those that have never been to really key in on this kind of thing, but we're going to talk about that. Dean Self will be coming, and then also Brent Mizell will also be coming up and, uh, and telling you about a couple of opportunities that will be happening. So, but right now, let's just turn it, turn it over to Thad. Y'all hear me? Good morning. Good to see everybody today. On the way to church this morning, I was listening to um, Christian radio, um, and I really like Jeremy Camp. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Jeremy Camp, but um, he's a tremendous artist and Christian artist, and um, he's got a song, Give You Glory. Um, it's a fantastic message. And I was thinking on the way here this morning as that song was being sung, that's what this is about today. It's about giving God the glory for two people who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they want to publicly declare that and declare their obedience to Christ and to declare their desire to live for him. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but um, it just thrills me when we have young people who are baptized. And these are young people to me. Uh, one is Alex Layfield, and the other one is Michael Deck. And um, I was like, man, Lord, thank you so much for these young people and for their salvation and the opportunity we have to witness uh, their obedience to Christ. Because it's very clear from the scriptures that one is not saved by being baptized. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, plus nothing. Baptism is an evidence that one belongs to Christ. It's obedience. It's declaring that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And so this morning we have two candidates for that. And you guys can uh, pray for me as I baptize them. And when you see them, you will know why, all right? 
So the first candidate we have this morning is Alex Layfield. Alex. Say hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. And then what do you call Paulette? Nana. Nana's back there. Look at her. She's all, back, all the family. All right. Well, it's great. I, I got to meet with Alex a couple of weeks ago, and she shared about her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and coming to know him as Savior. And, and she also shared her desire that she wanted to live for him as Lord. In this day and age... For a teenager to do that, it's a big deal. And so we are so, so thankful for Alex and her salvation. And Alex, I want to ask you, is it your desire to tell these witnesses this morning that you belong to Christ and that you would like to follow him with your life? Yes, sir. Isn't that awesome? All right. Now you start praying, okay? All right, we're going to step right back here. All right. It's my privilege, my sister, to baptize you now in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You did it! <laughs> she said you did it. <laughs> That's one for one. <laughs> All right, the next candidate for baptism this morning is Michael Deck. Michael? <laughs> now, not yet. <laughs> now, I was baptized as a believer when I was seven years old. I've not been, been rebaptized, but that could happen this morning. <laughs> right. Well, I had the privilege of meeting Michael for breakfast a few weeks ago and we ate together, fellowship together, and he shared with me about his testimony uh, when he came to Christ and his desire to, to live for the Lord. And um, how old are you, Mike? 28. 28 years old. And so you don't find too many of those these days as well that are willing to say to an audience and to the world, not only do I belong to Christ, but I want to live my life for him. So, Michael, this morning, is it your desire as a believer in Christ to live your life for him. Yes, sir. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Amen. All right. You're going to come right here. <laughs> Lord, help me. I baptize you now, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, well, let's have a word of prayer uh, together. Father, um, just thank you. Thank you for the lives of Alex and Michael. and Father, most of all, for their salvation and then their desire to live for you. Lord, I'm thankful that you have not left them alone or us alone to do that. But your spirit indwells them and indwells all of those this morning who belong to the Lord Jesus. And so we ask that, Father, you would lead them by your spirit each day. 
And I pray that as a congregation, we would encourage these believers in their life and that we'd walk beside them and hold them accountable to the things that they've said this morning through baptism and obeying you. And so we just um, commit them to you and commit this service to you. And we want the Lord Jesus Christ to be glorified. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, my name is Dean Self, and I will be leading a, a, a group on missions to the Rio Grande Bible Institute. If I could give you an explanation of it, uh, if you know who Moody Bible Church is, or Dallas Theological Seminary, they would be comparative to that. They train more Hispanic pastors and leaders than any other uh, uh, Bible Institute or seminary that there is uh, in the Latin American world. So what we're going to do da- down there is we're not going down there as theologians or anything. What happens is is because the uh, at the particular time we're going, all of the students are gone on mission trips. So they have like 300 kids going on mission trips all over the world. Uh, and and they, of course, will minister in Spanish, but that empties out the uh, Real Grand Bible Institute. So what has to happen is things have to be repaired, like changing light bulbs, painting, uh, removing furniture around, doing all kinds of little bitty things that if we didn't do that, then the professors would have to do it uh, that, that teach at the Bible Institute. Uh, so um, we're trying to take a load off of the uh, professors that teach uh, the uh, people down at Rio Grande. Uh, so that's going to be it. I want to say this, that we are, uh, except for the local missions that we're going to be doing, this will be the only one that you don't fly to. We're going we're gonna to drive, and it's going to take us two days. We'll have to spend the night somewhere like Houston or somewhere like that, to get down all the way down. We're going to McAllen, Texas. And as I looked at all of the other uh, mission trips that's going on, ours will probably be the most dangerous, uh, if you can even believe that. We're still in the United States, but we're at McAllen, Texas, where millions of people have come across the border. And so... We're going to be very safe, and we're going to be in a place where we'll be taken care of, but we're not going to be going across the border and doing any shopping. <laughs> uh, so, But we will have a good time down there, and there'll be a, a, a lot to do, a lot for us to do, and a lot for us. To, uh, the things that we do will help those professors so that them and their wives won't have to do all of those things, and they can spend their time doing the Gospels. So uh, uh, I, we have a, uh, a handout for people that would be interested. I'll have it on the back, back behind uh, the, uh, out in the lobby there for people that are interested if you want to go. So we're going to be going in a 15-passenger van and we'll be going to McAllen, Texas, and then we'll be back. That'll be in May the 20th 
to May the 30th. May the 20th to May the 30th. So you could look on your calendar, see if you have time on your vac- vacation time. If, you have, uh, if you're free at that time, well, we would love to have you go down there. Be a great time of fellowship, and you'll get to know some of the professors that are down there and also uh, the inner workings of Rio Grande Bible Institute. So thanks a lot. Okay, we're here to talk about the Alaska mission trip. I'm Brent Mizell, my wife Sharon, and we're going to be going from August the 19th to the 27th uh, this year, and uh, we're going to Saldotna, Alaska, and uh, I'm going to show you a little bit about that. Um, Mission Aviation Repair Center is based there, and what they do is they repair the planes of the missionary pastors that go out to the villages in Alaska. There are no roads to a lot of the villages, but there are runways to every one of them because the government requires that. And so the pastors have little planes that they go to visit these uh, villages and have their services. And they go from village to village, and they have to have those planes repaired. So the Mission Aviation Repair Center is where they come to get those repaired, and they charge them 15% above cost for parts. And they're also the FBO there that sell them gasoline, and they have a a lounge for them and that type of thing. But there's 18 missionary guys there that are mechanics that work on these planes. So there's a lot of planes that they keep up. When we were there last time in 2017, we did a lot of work inside the hangar. Here you see the lobby and the floor. We did the floor. We did the ceiling tiles. We painted. we, We did all that, and then we installed cabinets both in the offices and in also in the hangar. And then, as you can see, we did some metal work outside where somebody had run into the side of the building. That's David and Caleb Nichols, and they're repairing the, the, the repair there. And then... Well, the ladies will, uh, were doing... We were painting. We painted the lounge uh, where the pilots stay when they have time between flights. We did... Um, more painting, more painting. <laughs> One of the evenings, we uh, let them, all the couples who were in the mission, have a night out, a date night. So we babysat all the kids. <laughs> and they had a lot of fun. <laughs> and they were really okay with the being bound. <laughs> uh, and we also cooked... Um, several meals uh, for the ladies. A couple of them, I believe, were pregnant at the time, and we thought it would be really nice if we could just make them some meals so they can put in the freezer so when they're 
you know, after they deliver, they'll have some meals right there. Just pull them out of the freezer. But we had a great time. And then uh, uh, Peter took us up on a flight, and we went over the Harding Ice Fields. An ice field is a glacier that doesn't move. And uh, President Harding was the first president of the United States to visit Alaska, and so they named it after him. And here's a close-up picture. You can see where the sun melts the gravel that goes through it. It was really, we were a little low, as you can tell. And here we are coming in for a landing. And so our trip is going to be August the, uh, like I said, 19th through the 27th. It's going to cost around between $1,600 and $1,800 a person. And we do not want money to be an object for you not to be able to go. So we have scholarship money available in the missions committee, and we would love for you to apply for that, and we will work with you. So you need to see me if you're interested in going on this trip. Changing gears a little bit, we have a home trip to Ponderosa Bible Camp in Mentone, Alabama, March 6th through 11th in a couple weeks. And we're going to be air conditioning the cabins up there, so you camping kids will love that. And so, but in order to do that, we have to take all the screens down and we have to put uh, 36 windows, six windows in each cabin, and fill in all the gaps in between. So it's going to be a lot of work. So if you can come up any one of those days or the whole week or whatever, March 6th to 11th, that's a Monday through a Saturday, Please see me about that as well so we can go ahead and uh, plan for that. And we have a place for you to stay, and they'll feed you well. So we look forward to anybody that wants to go help. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, exciting, exciting times ahead of it uh, for us and everything. I like, the, I like the, the picture of the kids with the duct tape. Yeah. We need to pass that on to Andrea, you know. I mean, that does prove that duct tape will fix anything, right? So, uh, but that's, that's pretty good. Anyway, uh, it's good to be here today, and we, now we're going to, we want to go into a time of worship. But we need to get the choir up here, okay? But to get the choir up here, we want all of y'all to stand. And I want you to look around and see if there's anybody in your area that you don't know or anything. And I want you to go introduce yourself to them, and then we're going to get started with our time of worship. Y'all all stand and welcome one another.
Okay, it's good to see everybody welcoming one another. So if you'd make your way back to your seat and you can go ahead and remain standing and we can start our worship time together. We want to, uh, by the way, we do apologize for the video thing. We're, so, we're using some new software and uh, sometimes things don't quite work when you click on them. So that's what happened there. But, uh, but anyway, but that doesn't bother us in our worship time right now because we want to sing to the Lord His holiness and His mercy and His grace. We sing about holy, holy, holy God. Let's all sing together.
Sing about the holiness of God. He's God in three persons. He is who he is. Maybe something, somebody we don't, we don't really know that well because we can't comprehend that. Comprehend the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But only what God has chosen to reveal about himself can be known. But we can know him by, by his names. Um, and there are a lot of his names in the Bible. Just thought I'd give you a few this morning. Jehovah, Elohim, Strong One, Divine One, the Eternal Creator. Jehovah, Adonai, Sovereign Lord and Master, and we are his servants. Jehovah, Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah, Elion, Most High, the strongest one. Jehovah, Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. El Shaddai, Almighty God. El Olam, Everlasting God. And of course, Yahweh, Lord, I am. He is eternal. He's self-existent God. And there are many, many more. There's about 90 to 100 names in the Bible for the Lord that describes who he is. But one attribute of God that is so meaningful to us all here today, that God is gracious. And his grace includes his goodness and his kindness and his mercy and his love. And, if it were, and just think, if it were not for God's grace, his holiness would exclude us from his presence. Thankfully, this is not the case, for he desires to know each of us personally. The psalmist said, how great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. Our God is a gracious, merciful, loving God, and he's an intimate God a God who we can go to in our times of need. I want you to listen to the words of the choir as they sing a song called This Is God.
Let's all pray, maybe. Oh, Father in heaven, as we mention only what you have allowed us to know about you, Lord, is what we know about you. And only through your word can we even, either, even fathom who you are. And even in your explanation of being three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we cannot comprehend. There's nothing that is like that here. You are unique. There's none like you. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. And God, the fact that we can approach you and we can meet together here with you this morning and know that you are here with us and you're reading our hearts and you're thinking our thoughts and you're listening to our praise and our, and our testimonies and our songs and the, and the things that we do together, Lord, just the fact that you are with us and that you love us and you show us mercy and love is far beyond our comprehension. Oh, God, we thank you. Oh, God, we praise you. Lord, we just lift you up this morning above all that there is that it's not a church, it's not individuals, it's not pastors, it's you, God, it's you that we focus on this morning. And Lord, we just praise you and just worship you and just give you the glory and the honor that is due you this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity and the privilege and the honor it is to be here with you and just to be able to call you our Lord, our Master, and our Savior. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, just be with us during the rest of our time. Father, I pray for Pastor Thad this morning as he comes and brings your message to us this morning. May it touch our hearts. May your spirit indwell each person in this room today and teach us and guide us in what we need to do and what we need to be as we walk through the doors at the end of this service. Thank you again for this time. These things we pray in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Somebody raised this podium. Did, did, was David behind this podium this morning? Brent. Same thing. See how far down I get to take that? Isn't that awesome? Well, in case you want to know, it is Super Bowl Sunday. And every Super Bowl Sunday we say, Go Cowboys. <clears throat> Although it's been 27 years, not that anybody's counting, <clears throat> since we've been to the Super Bowl. Um, how many of you have in the past... I know they have different versions of it, but the original, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You, any of you watch that? Admit that you watch that? Well, that show, this microphone's bothering me, that show um, had contestants, and obviously the goal was to win money, and they could win up to a million dollars. Well, I don't think I ever saw one that did that. I'm sure there was one that did it. I don't remember. My memory doesn't serve me that well. With that, but 
when you were, um, as a contestant, you had lifelines. you remember those lifelines? And uh, one of them was you could ask the audience, and the audience could help you with whatever the question was. Or you could do 50-50, where they would take two of the um, answers and eliminate them because they were wrong, and so it left you with two to choose from instead of four. Or you could phone a friend. So this week I decided to phone a friend, and he did not answer. His name was the Apostle John. <laughs> I wanted to ask him some questions about this particular section. Um, this is a very difficult section. As I've said a few times already through the study, this is a very difficult book. On the surface it looks simple, but as you dig under the layers, you come to find out there's much to consider. And the question becomes, as you work your way through the book of 1 John, is this a book that's written to believers as a test of their relationship, or is this a book written to believers as it relates to a test of fellowship? Are they in fellowship with God? And I think I've told you all along the way that my viewpoint is that this is a test of fellowship that these uh, believers are having to consider where they are in their fellowship with the Lord. And as you know, there are great theologians on both sides of the aisle, and when you have something like that to deal with, my personal viewpoint is that you have to be teachable. You have to be teachable. And uh, how many of you would even say that your first recollection of John 3.16 was probably a few years ago, and you considered that verse, but how many of you, when you first learned that verse, considered it in its context? Probably not many at all. Um, it's one of those issues that we're forced to do, uh, is deal with context. What does the Bible say in the context of the passage to the original audience? And so, one of the things that, that I do uh, every week is remind myself just through the context, who this letter is written to. And if you look up through chapter 3, you see in verse 7 of 1 John 3, little children there addressed, born ones, ones that belong to the Lord. Even in this difficult passage that we will deal with this morning, verse 13, he says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. So who is he addressing? In context, it seems to me that he is addressing believers. And so he is, again, coming to a significant point in the life of believers to address the issue of love. And it's something that on the surface might look somewhat simplistic, but when you consider the term that is used, agape love, then you know this is a bigger deal than maybe we've made it. Because there are different words, as we looked at last week, a few weeks ago I gave you a handout where there were different words mentioned for love. Well, one of those words that we are forced to deal with here in 1 John is agape love. It's the kind of love in which God loves us. It's a volitional decision. It's unconditional, it's sacrificial, 
It's, it's different. It's not like certainly the world thinks of love. Um, it's not even brotherly love, but it's a sacrificial love. It's a volitional decision that I make. And here's where the rubber meets the road. It's a volitional decision to love those within the body of Christ, even the hardest person to love. There is no out clause. The Lord does not tell us to love 99% of our brothers and our sisters in Christ. He says all of them. Where did that begin? As we saw last week, that began in the upper room. After Judas left, he told his disciples, the world will know that you are my disciples by your your love for one another, that agape love. And we said, well, how easy would that have been? But then we remember that they all had different personalities and different backgrounds. And we use the illustration of Matthew being a tax collector, fitting in. Imagine that with Peter, James, and John. That would have been a very difficult thing. So agape love is not easy. It's not one of those, well, yeah, I I do that. Well... As we saw last week, agape love has some teeth to it. If you just research other segments of the New Testament, you come to find out that agape love serves others. Now remember, it's not serve the person that's easiest to serve, but serve every believer. And we saw last week that agape love is a stretching love. Remember that from 1 Peter? It stretches us. And it certainly does. When I was in New York State, there were a few in the ministry up there where my muscles were being stretched to love that person actively by serving them. I remember one particular lady in doing a Bible study wanted me to do it her way because that was the way. And I made the decision that I would not do it her way, that I would continue to do it my way. She went to the pastor and told the pastor, Thad's doing Bible study his way, and this is the way I would like it to be done. Well, that's fine. Everyone has their opinions. But I continued to do Bible study the way I wanted it to be done and the way I believed the Lord was leading me. You see, life and ministry and fellowship in the body of Christ is not as easy as it looks. Quite often on a Sunday morning... Um, there is a question that must come across our minds, I think, and that is, are we willing to be stretched this morning to serve someone that maybe is not in our sphere of influence, so to speak? Who is that person on the other side of the sanctuary? What is their story? What's their life? How can I serve them? So there's a lot to think about as it relates to this agape love. Last week we saw from verse 11 the declaration or announcement concerning agape love. John writes to his audience, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, the beginning at least of their salvation. Right? That's when it begins for you and me. At the beginning of our salvation, we learn about something different from eros. Right? The, the, the world only knows eros in many cases. 
the world certainly doesn't love like the Lord is talking about here. But John says to his audience, this is the message you have heard. They've already heard it. So if you're, if you're one of those reading the letter or listening to the letter being read, which was likely, how are you hearing that? Hey, we've already dealt with that, John. We've tied a neat bow around that. We're good. Well, aren't reminders good? Isn't it good to have the reminder that I am to love with agape love all of my brothers and my sisters in Christ, whether or not they're sitting in here or not? All of them. Now that's going to force you in just a moment, it's going to force you to think about your past relationships with other believers. It'll, it'll have to do that. I don't guess you have to, but if you're thinking through all of agape love, then you have to think through all of the relationships you've had with believers and ask at least the question, am I willing to serve that person? It's not easy, is it? In fact, without the help of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to do. We have to have help. So, in the declaration, it's we should love one another. Now, if you go to chapter 4, can you do that just for a second? I'm not even asking you to turn in another part of your Bible. I'm asking you to turn maybe one page. Look at verse 21. And this commandment we have from him that the one... You had to turn again. <laughs> that the one who loves God, notice this next word, should love his brother. That should be the case. Is that always the case? Not always the case. I think hatred is defined, it's somewhat ambiguous, hard to understand. We've talked about it before, but if I'm ignoring another brother or sister in Christ, there may be hatred in my heart. I'm not saying there is, but I'm saying there might be. Um, hatred is something that we expect from the world, but not from believers. So, the declaration or announcement is we should love one another. I added a new quote for you by John MacArthur because I really like it. He says, Agape love expresses the purest, noblest form of love which is volitionally driven. Remember, we've talked about that. Not motivated by superficial appearance. I mean, you're not, look, on a Sunday morning. Here's a good example of that. You're on a Sunday morning, you're not going, well, they're dressed right, I'm going to love on them. That's not how that works. Um, that's not agape love. It's not motivated by superficial appearance. That happens a lot in schools when you're growing up and you're wanting to hang out with somebody because they're cool, they look right, they're wearing the right clothes. I love that dude. I love that girl. It's only, that's not love. You're just like, hey, they're wearing the right things. They're driving the right vehicles. They have the right phone. Is that hitting any buttons with young people? Well, 
Look what he says further. It's not motivated by superficial appearance, emotional attraction. Um, I feel good about this person, so I'm going to love them. I know it's probably the case that Teresa doesn't always feel good about me. If you're visiting with us, that's my wife. Do you, dear? I'm thankful that her love for me is not motivated by emotion. I'm certainly glad about that with my Lord. Or sentimental relationship. So that's a good quote that that John MacArthur has on this issue of agape love. So now we move from the declaration to the description of agape love. He describes it. Now this is where it kind of gets, you know, you're in the weeds and in the tall grass and you're like, what in the world? This is where I was like, phone a friend, phone John. Because notice what he says in verse 12. After he says we should love one another. He says not as Cain. Oh, that guy. You remember Cain? You do, don't you? Back in Genesis 4, it tells us about Cain. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? That word slay means slaughter. It was a brutal death. I don't know what you think happened. But it was brutal. Cain murdered Abel. You're like, oh, I know why Cain did that. Do you? The text tells us why he did. He said, well, he was evil. That's not why he murdered Abel. Notice what the end of the verse says. Because his deeds were evil, and notice this, his brothers were righteous. What was Cain? He was envious of his Brother, what does envy do? Envy leads to hatred, which leads to action. That's what happened in the life of Cain and Abel. So we learn about agape love. First of all, that it is not envious. It's not envious. Cain killed Abel because... Cain was envious of his brother. That's what Genesis chapter 4 tells us. His offering was not acceptable, but Abel's was. We understand envy, don't we? Yes. We understand jealousy, don't we? Yes. Have you ever been envious? Have you ever been jealous? Are you always rejoicing when there is quote-unquote success in the life of your brother or sister in Christ? Or do you hold back and go, yeah. Well, the Bible tells us here that Cain was envious of his brother. Because the deeds of his brother were righteous. Um... You say, why in the world did John use this example? I mean, he's writing to believers. There's no way that believers are ever envious and jealous to the point of murder. Are they? 
Well, I think if you read your Bible, there's lots of murder that goes on. I don't know about, I mean, I see a lot of murder in the Bible. And a lot of murder with people who knew God. I mean, I think of David, and you say, well, he didn't pull the trigger. He sent him on the front line, did he not? Yeah, he did. Well, agape love is not envious. Secondly, John says, agape love is not the way of the world. Notice verse 13. This is an interesting uh, verse because it almost kind of doesn't fit. In fact, some theologians believe this is kind of like a parenthetical statement. That John just is like a hiccup. <laughs> not that it's not God's word, but he's like, hey, don't be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. So agape love is not the way of the world. What's interesting in the original language is this. It reads this way. They would have read it this way. Um, so it's not the way of the world. They would read it this way. Stop being surprised. In other words, John's audience was surprised. Are you surprised that the world hates believers? Well, we shouldn't be surprised. And if you are surprised, you need to stop. I just listed a few things. The world will hate you if you stand on the truth of the word. True or false? True. Let me give you some examples. The world will hate you if you stand on biblical marriage. We're living in that. One man and one woman. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Haven't you caught up? It's the 21st century. It's not just between a man and a woman. It's between a man and a man. Or a woman and a woman. Question, is that what God says? All we have to do is go back to the beginning. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his husband. Is that what it says? No. Shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But if you stand on that today, you will be criticized. That is a fact. And you maybe are being criticized. The world will hate you if you stand against abortion. It will hate you. And... The world does hate you because that's where you stand. Who speaks for the unborn child? That's just something I want to know. And haven't we come far enough to know when there's life in the womb? Have we not? I mean, we can drop a bomb inside of a pencil. But we can't figure out that there's life in the womb. Not buying that at all. Those doctors know exactly what they're doing. I believe that a thousand percent. I've had to trust doctors when they carve my chest and carve my neck. I mean, I was trusting ultimately in the Lord... 
Please keep their hands just right. Although I have this little mole on my chest. It's still there. I didn't tell him this. I wish I would have told him before the surgery. Please take that thing off. They didn't do it. I have to ask Sharon, why don't they do that, right? But when we stand on the truth as it relates to the unborn child and the life that's there, if we stand on that, the world's going to hate us. The world will hate you if you tell them that they have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. (laughs) Will they hate you? They might punch you. I've shared with people who are not born again, and they have turned really, really red. I like watermelon. You guys like watermelon? You know, and and I just like when that melon's looking really red, and I just want to eat that thing. Summer's coming. Well, the world, their face is like a red watermelon. When it comes to the issue of sin, they're going to hate hearing that. And they're certainly going to hate this, and I've experienced it on several occasions. If you tell them that the only way of salvation is Jesus Christ, they're going to hate you. In fact, some are even going to give you an answer like this. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need what you have. You know the good part, guys, with the gospel? We're not trying to sell it. Not for sale. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. One who was innocent, not guilty of a thing, took on all our sin because he loves us. Well, There's a quote that I found, and I don't know who to give credit to, but I liked it. The world doesn't have the love of God. They don't. So why should we expect the world to show us the love of God? They don't understand it. Agape love does not make sense to them. And we should not expect them to love us in that capacity. Well, the third thing we see in this text, this is a beauty here. You're going to love this. Um, there's a lot to consider here. A whole lot to consider. So what I'm going to do is we're going to read the verses, and then I'm going to read through those um, viewpoints. I almost didn't put the viewpoints on PowerPoint because I'm like, well, they can read it off their sheet. Then I forget there's some people that are watching us, and they can't read off the sheet. So that's why I put it up there. Thank you, Lord, for that, because I was not thinking in that manner. All right, look what it says about agape love in verses 14 and 15. Agape love is life-changing. How many of you have experienced agape love? It's okay to put your hands up double. Yes. How many of you have experienced someone serving you and you thought, I never, I never... What are they doing? Has that ever happened to you where you're like, I can't believe this is happening? I want to commend our body. I think 
as believers here at Grace, we show this very well. I'm just being honest. That's my observation from the cheap seat, so to speak. I see you guys. I see you loving on each other. Here's the challenge for us. Stretch ourselves to love people we might not know yet. And stretch ourselves to go back and make those relationships right with people who aren't here. Is that something to consider? I think so. Well, notice what he says about this life-changing love. John says, we know, and he's at least including himself and the apostles in that, and likely his audience, that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Oh, well, he's talking about relationship. Really? Let's look at it. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother. Now, notice, again, I pointed this out on numerous occasions, his brother. So what does that make the person? A brother, a believer. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Uh Uh-oh. That's tough. We'll come back to it. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Uh Uh-oh. But I've hated my brother. Well, then I don't have eternal life abiding in me. According to John... If I take that viewpoint, we'll come back to it. Two views on this particular section, I call section, these verses. You have the relationship view and, again, the fellowship view. The relationship view, I should have put test of there. This view states that one, sorry people who are watching. This view states that one who is continually loving their brother gives evidence that they have eternal life. Who does that? That means all the time. Um, One who hates his brother does not possess eternal life because to hate is to be a murderer. Uh Uh-oh. There's a lot of problems in this text for us to consider. John MacArthur writes, and this is the view he holds to, John is not saying that one who commits murder can never be saved. Paul was a murderer, was he not? He was. Didn't he persecute Christians? He did. He repented and was forgiven. That's true. All sinners can be saved. That's not what we're talking about here. Uh Uh-oh, sorry. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about who can be saved. We're talking about who is saved. So what he's saying here is this is the way that we can tell... If one belongs to the Lord, if they are indeed loving their brother and not hating. He says, if one continues to hate, they have never been transformed. They've never been born again. So he's saying that's a pattern. That if there's a pattern in a person's life of hatred toward another brother, they're not transformed. They're not born again. They're not saved. Then there's the test of fellowship view. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Lord. This view states that one who is hating his brother is out of fellowship with God. One can be saved and hate, yes, and even murder. The man who is not loving his brother is being controlled by that old sin nature within him. Have you ever been controlled by that old sin nature within you to the point 
of hating your brother. Okay, it's something to consider. Dr. David Anderson wrote this, When we hate another Christian brother, we have the same attitude as Cain. Uh-oh. What was Cain's attitude? He was envious and jealous. Has that ever happened in my life or your life? Probably. If a believer hates his brother, his experience on earth is death. He abides in death. That word death means separation. The believer is out of fellowship and experiences the living death of separation. A brother who is hating another brother is clearly not enjoying what he calls the abundant life Christ offers on earth. Let me just give you some things to think about that I've just myself, as I've worked through this and considered both views. Notice what he says beginning in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Question, is the context salvation or sanctification? What do you say? That's something you have to consider. And obviously that's something the theologians who are on both sides of the aisle have considered. I believe the context is sanctification because he's talking to brothers. He's talking to little children or born ones. And again, he emphasizes his and you. He's talking to believers from what I can understand. Um, So notice it says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Those who have the relationship view would say that this is an evidence that you belong to Christ. All right, this is security for you as a believer. But is the security of the believer love? Is that security? Or is it something else? Well, from what I can understand in chapter 5, verse 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So, there, what's the issue? Belief equates to eternal life. So, from my perspective, I have to ask the question, is this verse, or the, the, yeah, is this part of this verse, is he talking about a person giving evidence that they belong to Christ? Um, I don't believe so. Because what do you do with this? If a believer is not loving their brother, then what? Uh-oh. We got a problem. Because John says, if you have the relationship view, if that's your viewpoint in 1 John, then you're banking on this. I'm saved if I'm loving my brothers. But what about if you're not? You're like, hold on a second. That I love all my brothers, do you? All of them? All the time? See, it can't just be, I love my brothers, but there's one or two or three that I can't love. That's not, that's not going to work with the equation here of this relationship view. So, I don't believe that that's what John is discussing here in the text. Um, it's, it's not security, it's behavior. It's how one behaves. Okay? 
I'm able to exercise something. I'm able to love my brothers. But I know when that's not happening in my life. Okay? So he says, we know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Then notice what he says. He who does not love abides in death. Okay, well, there it is. That means they're separated from God in their relationship. They don't have eternal life. Is that what it means? Well, again, if a believer's not loving one or two or three, right, just for an example, then if I have the relationship view, then I can never do that. I always have to be loving. Now, guys, I don't want you to misunderstand me. We need to always be loving, as John says. But are we always loving? Agape love. Answered no. We're probably not. Because I don't know that we've thought about the extent of that and the depth of that. So he says, he who does not love abides in death, which is separation. Now, there's a separation as it relates to relationship. And there's a separation as it relates to fellowship. In the context of the passage, I believe he's talking about fellowship. Remember, what did we say was key? What did we say was key in terms of our fellowship? Abiding in the Lord Jesus. What term does he use here in this phrase? Abide. Abide speaks about what? Fellowship. These, listen, if you're not loving your brother, then you are abiding in separation from the Lord and from your brothers. Okay? I believe that's what John's saying here in verse 14. Now, verse 15 gets even more complicated, but look at it. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Oh, my goodness. I thought you had to, like, pull the trigger or shoot the arrow or whatever it is you do. No, he says hates. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Can I give you some things to think about? Just for uh, the sake of thinking. Um, How many of you would admit... You don't have to raise your hand, but, but there's been a time in your life where you've hated another brother in Christ. That ever happened to you? Well, then you're a murderer, and you don't have eternal life abiding in you. That's rough, isn't it? That's rough. Because if he's writing to believers, I've got to think through that. What is he saying? Is it possible that a believer would hate to the point of murdering? Well, I want to give you a couple things to think about. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter, so you don't have to turn back too far. 1 Peter chapter 4. How many of you are uncomfortable? Isn't it awesome? Listen, this is tough stuff. I tried to phone the apostle. He didn't answer. First Peter is written to who? Say it out loud. Suffering believers. Chapter 4 of First Peter. Look at verse 12. Beloved, brothers, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. 
But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you... Who's he talking to? Beloved. Believers. Make sure that none of you suffers as a... Murderer. Oh, now hold on a second. This can't be right. It's right there. It's wasted ink if it's not right. It's right, isn't it? Isn't that what it says? Now, it's hard for us to have the mind that this could be even possible. Let me just give you something to think through. What would happen if you had a daughter? I know this is a what if, and I get all the implications with that. What if your daughter was raped? How are you responding to that? What if your child was murdered? Or your teenager was murdered? Or your wife was murdered? Or your husband? How do we respond to those things? You remember in the context he's talking about responding to what? Suffering. Do we not remember about the first century church? There was a lot of suffering. People being torched for their faith. You say, well, hey, no one seeks evil for evil. Really? That happens. What does Peter say to these suffering Christians? He says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. If you don't like murder, just keep going. Well, thief, no, believers don't steal. Evildoer, believers are never evil. A troublesome meddler, no, that doesn't describe any believer ever. He said, that, that's just one passage. Well, okay. Go back one more book to James chapter 4. And I want to give you an example. James chapter 4. Who's James written to? Class, are you scared to answer? <laughs> Believers. Chapter 4. <laughs> what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Oh, believers never have quarrels and conflicts. What are you talking about? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. You know, one of the biggest things, guys, and this might sound very simplistic to us, especially if we've been saved a long time, is praying that the Lord would help us maintain our testimony. You ever been to a ballpark? (laughs) I've been to a few. You ever heard believers yell things and thought, what you doing? I got to tell you one before I show you this. I was at a a game sometime back, and I saw behavior from professing believers that was out of bounds. 
You say, that well, you're not perfect. You're right, I'm not. I've been there on the fence saying, hey, blue, hello, that's not a strike. You can't see. What's the problem? <laughs> Is maintaining our testimony easy to do? Apart from the control of the Spirit of God, it's impossible. So I saw things. I heard things. I will freely admit I have sinned in that area. I have. It's the truth. With the help of the Lord, I said, Lord, watch my mouth, watch my actions. It's hard. It's not easy. You know, the hardest thing you're going to face today, admitting that you at times are quarrelsome and you're into conflicts that you shouldn't be into. That's the truth. Admitting it's a lot of it. Man, I admit I'm not perfect. And I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my goodness. So, notice he says, among you. Among who? Among believers. Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? <clears throat> Excuse me. Look at verse 2. You lust and do not have, so you what? Commit murder. So you fight. Excuse me. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Can I give you a, a, an example? And I think this is pretty pertinent. And it speaks to the importance of discipleship. When a person gets saved, I mean, don't we go, praise the Lord. How many people have we done that for? who've been left alone to live the Christian life. You say, oh, they have the Spirit of God. Well, yes, they do. But don't we need to be taught? Yes, we do. Don't we need to understand, hey, this is what God says about our lives and what we should do and what we should not do. You know, the public statement that Alex and Michael today met, made was huge. Because they're saying to everyone in this building... I want my life to count for Christ, and I want to follow him, and everything comes with it. Well, there's a couple of examples. And I have one more, and it's in the form of an illustration. And if you have the patience, you could turn to John 18. And I've got a couple of things to say after that, and we'll be done. John 18, verse 1. This is after Jesus has been with his disciples in the upper room. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth from his, went forth, excuse me, with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. And now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met him there with his disciples. And Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And so Jesus, knowing all the, the things that were coming upon him, he knew what was coming, okay, not a surprise, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? 
They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. And so when he said, he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these go their way. To fulfill the word which he spoke, of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Look at verse 10. Simon Peter, then having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword in the sheath, and the cup which the Father has given me, I shall drink it. (laughs) Just a question I don't know the answer to, and you don't either. What was Peter's occupation? He was a fisherman. He wasn't a swordsman. Do you think he was going for Malchus' ear? I don't know. I have no idea. But I know right then and right there what was in Peter's heart. We look at it and we go, oh, that was right now. No, it wasn't. No, you see, the Lord had already told them what was ahead, right? He knew, and the text tells us he did. So those are some things just to think about. I'm not going to try to convince you one way or the other. That's between you and the Lord. I will make one more comment about verse 15. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, It's important to understand, is John talking about quantity of life or quality of life? What would you say? I would say quality of life. Every person has eternal life. Did you know that? Every single person will live eternally. Some in hell, some in heaven. But everyone will live eternally. I believe that here he's talking about the issue of quality, the issue of an abundant life. The issue of, listen, not being miserable. If you belong to the Lord, when you start hating on your brother, there's the Spirit of God that lives in you that's going to convict you. And you ought to be feeling miserable. And if you're not feeling miserable because your quality of life is not as it should be, having an abundant life, something's wrong. So, it's a lot to think about. (laughs) Uh, you say, Dad, are you having fun doing this? Loads of it. I really am. Let me give you some things to think about, points of agreement, and then we'll shut it down for today. Number one, agape love is the expectation for those who are born again. We agree on that? It is. But I would encourage all of us to examine what that means. Agape love is incredibly important to demonstrate. Jesus told his disciples that. John tells us that here again in 1 John. Agape love should not be envious or jealous. By the way, in the context, we don't have time this morning. Maybe we'll start start there next week. Never mind. I'll just start there next week. All right. Agape love should not be envious or jealous. Agape love is not to be expected from the world. Don't expect that. But you need to expect it from your other brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And then agape love is impossible to demonstrate without abiding in Christ, which he uses that term abiding a couple of times in that section. All right? Well, I've got an announcement to make. I wanted to, to uh, make an announcement this morning. Um, I am not turning 60 this year. <laughs> That's not the announcement. The announcement is about the movie Risen. Um, there are some cards out there on the Welcome Center. And we are going to show this movie. It's going to be open to the community. Obviously open for you to invite your friends and neighbors and such. But um, the movie Risen will be shown here at 6.30 p.m. on April the 7th. Okay, that's Good Friday night. I encourage you to come and just bring a friend. Grab one person. Say, come watch a movie with me. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. It's a great opportunity, I think, not only to um, introduce them to, to grace, but more importantly, to introduce them to Christ. And um, that'll be done through that movie. Also, that weekend... We will have, for the first time, I've never done one, a sunrise service. Uh, we're going to have a sunrise service on Easter Sunday morning. And I'm not a morning person, but I will be here, okay, with bells on. I'll be here. And we're going to come. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will have Sunday school and church that day as well. We're probably going to provide some refreshments in between, some of you may want to go back home. Some of you may want to invite me for breakfast, scrambled eggs and bacon and toast and something like that. Hash brown casserole with a little cheese on top, no onions. So I've thought about this, as you can tell. But um, guys, listen, it was great being with you today. Uh, I know it's hard treading through this. I, I, I realize that. Um, and I'm probably not making, making some of you happy, but... I'm really trying to do what the Lord wants me to do in this and in my study. And I'm trying to be fair to the viewpoints that are out there. And I hope that you can see that. But um, the Lord certainly is working on me because I'm pliable, teachable. And that's the way we all need to remain until he comes. So let's uh, stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. All right. Well, Father, we thank you for your word that we were able to open this morning. And Lord, there are many times in the Bible where we're met with things that are just hard to understand. And um, we want to understand. We want to, um, to be led in, in, in the right things. And, and Lord, we admit that, freely admit, that, that people have influenced us in the past to different positions. I have my, I've had that in my life. Sometimes I've said I've... I agree with something without really researching it myself to the fullest. And so in this case, Lord, I, I thank you for the study times that you've given to me. And you're just, uh, you know, molding me and, and shaping me and continuing to do that. But at the same time, I have the opportunity and privilege to come out here and show the folks what, what you've showed me. And I just pray that you would work in their hearts and their lives. And Lord, I, for those that may not be saved, I pray for their salvation. And for those who are I pray that we would consider uh, how agape lo love looks in our lives uh, with everyone that's a believer that we come in contact with. So we just pray for your spirit to lead us and to guide us uh, this day. And all this we pray in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.